Something's going on contrary to the laws of the Doctor Who podcast. I must find out what. Yes, and welcome one and all to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. A great pleasure to have your company today. In this episode, we'll be looking at the fan reaction to the recently screened Victory of the Daleks, looking about what people out there have been thinking about it, how they've been rating it, what their problems with it have been, and of course, the kooky fan theory of the week. Unfortunately, it's only myself from the regular team here today. Tom couldn't make it. In his stead, I have another podcaster from the from the community, Tim Drury from the uh, Tim's Take On podcast. Hello, Tim. Hi there, Trev. Hello, hello. Um, he's going to be joining me today to uh, go through the mound of interesting ideas <laughs> and uh, opinions to do with this episode. Um, but before we dive in, Tim, how about you tell us all about uh, the Tim's Take On podcast? Uh, well, it's it's effectively on its third season now because it's, it's kind of migrated around various podcast providers. And when it first started, it was kind of a mixture. And it probably will stay, stay a mixture. It's kind of born out of me hearing at least one other podcaster do something kind of freewheeling where he had a an audio recorder and just kind of walked and talked. And I thought, I go to the cinema every week. I could do instant movie reviews. And so I did that for a while and did sort of reviews straight out of the cinema. And then that kind of progressed to me doing straight after the episode reviews of Doctor Who and then just kind of like making use of this audio recorder. So I'd take it to cons and... Uh, record things at cons and uh, I've visited um, Cardiff with it and done a sort of audio diary of Cardiff which should do another one of those later this year if everything works out and I visit Cardiff again but I guess that's that's why, that's why it has the title Tim's Take on because it's just kind of whatever I want to do with it if, if, I, if I put Doctor Who something in the title it would probably fix it a bit too much <laughs> because it definitely is reviews on the spot because when when i started listening to it it took a little while for me to get used to that often you'll record your uh views straight after watching the episode in fact i think even in one of the recent ones the uh, doctor who confidential is still playing in the background when you're recording so it's it's definitely on the spot instant reviews and thoughts yeah it's it's uh, i've called them my kind of first thoughts reviews because you know and everyone gets this they'll have certain reactions when they've just seen the episode and it's interesting to record them and have them have a record of them and then maybe a day later or so when you've watched it again you suddenly see something else but it's it's interesting to do that first thing after the episode because also you can uh, tap into the internet and I put in a few thoughts of what people are saying on Twitter and so you get um, you get reaction from the, the not we as well 
and it has the incredible benefit of being probably only around 10 to 12 minutes long, unlike some of us other podcasters that prattle on for hours a week on particular episodes. Um, it, it's one you can pick up, you can have a listen to, probably even online, I suppose, because you wouldn't need to download it, and um, get your thoughts on the episode or, or the story or whatever that's playing. So it's short and nice and easily digestible. Yeah, that's kind of the point, I think. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, we will get into talking about Victory of the Dalek. Okay, well, the voters have spoken on Victory of the Daleks. Um, Had a look at the Outpost Gallifrey forums recently. They had 4,500 voters in their poll, and uh, over 60% gave it a 7 or above, with with the most uh, popular rating of about 21% uh, was a 7. So interesting that it's getting a little bit of a more of a lukewarm response, I think, this episode than uh, than other ones so far this year. So I always find it strange what gets mixed reviews because um, we were reviewing it on the Colton Collective last weekend. Some people were saying how they, they just didn't like this episode at all and couldn't get into it. And I remember being gripped by it and, and thinking, oh, this is quite suspenseful. What's going to happen next when I was watching mm. it? You must have been one of the voters over at the uh, Doctor Who Online forums. Um, in their rating system, they had 300 voters, and in their rating system of 1 to 5, um, 56% gave it a 4 or above, with a 35% giving it a, a 5 out of 5. So you must have been in their voting a few times, I'd say. Yeah, it's certainly interesting to see how you'll get one result on one website and then a different result on a different website. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely give it 4 out of 5 myself. And uh, over at our very own Doctor Who podcast forums, 35% gave it a 4 or above, with 40% giving it a 3. So again, I think that's a little bit more of that lukewarm response to it. It's really interesting that a, that a Dalek episode in this day and age would garner anything less than a 10 out of 10. Because uh, I, I think instantly, as soon as the Daleks turn up, people seem to get very excited. And they can often overlook the uh, plot points. So maybe there was stuff in this they couldn't really overlook. I, th- I think it's certainly true with me. If it's a Dalek episode, I get more excited than I will any other one. And I, I, I tend to also get a bit biased because I'll get excited just because the Daleks are in it. And so other stories that people may criticise, like um, Daleks in Manhattan, I'll, I'll still be going, yeah, but it's a Dalek story. <laughs> That's right. Even if the story's terrible, you can still watch the Daleks trundling around and well, making I mean, noise. I, I can watch it through the filter of seeing the best bits in it and going, yes, and there's great moments like Daleks colluding down a corridor and turning on their leader and all this sort of stuff. As far as the ratings are concerned, uh, as, as of recording, we've, we've got the overnight figures. That was 6.2 million people watched it, giving them uh, just a little under 33% of the audience share. Um, there must have been a lot of reality TV on in the UK this week because it was only the 16th most popular program. And it also received an appreciation index of 84, which is, I suppose, a little bit low for Doctor Who, because we're usually used to the high 80s, early 90s, but uh, still quite respectable, I think. Yeah, it's all right. Now down to what are the fans saying about it on the forums? Tim, have you have you had a bit of a look at the lay of the land and what, what the general feeling is for Victory of the Daleks out there? How, how well was it received? I think generally pretty well, you know. I would have a ridiculously large pile of paper here if I'd printed out everything. And so I just printed out a few first comments that showed up on um, Gallifrey Base and um, 
Doc Two Online. Uh, back to Polarity of Rassilon says, really enjoyed it, but haven't got a clue where the Daleks came from or what a progenitor was. Anyone know? Omega K. Uh, he says, it was all right, but I couldn't hear a lot of the dialogue due to how loud the music was. Interesting. Uh, that's an that's a, oh, age-old complaint that can go back to 2005, I think. That's right. Uh, Nikki said, hmm, I don't know. Everything with Daleks was absolutely brilliant, but the rest was a bit meh. The solution to stopping the bomb was really stupid. I'm going to give it 7 out of 10. Don't think I'd say this, but I can't wait to see the Daleks again. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, you've had, had a look at some of the early reaction, but what I like doing is waiting for it to die down a little bit, and everyone's had maybe their second viewing. So I usually burrow down the forums, maybe to the uh, 15th or 20th page of uh, comments, and that's, where, that's for me where, where the gold starts coming out, where the people start writing the more long-reasoned comments. And there was some interesting stuff that came up that uh, it was uh, posted during the week. Um, a lot of people seem to think that this would have made a good two-part story, that uh, a, a lot of the elements of Victory of the Dates were quite rushed and would have benefited by just slowing down a little bit and maybe adding a few more ideas to it and you know, sort of put it out to a proper two-part two story. What do you think of that, Tim? It certainly would have delayed some of the more controversial moments. It, it would have given space for um, a bit more character development because you have um, Bracewell, who's a wonderful character and brilliantly played, and he's is is um, a lot. A lot of his stuff is a little bit rushed, and uh, it would have been nice to them to have some kind of cliffhanger moment and. Um, leave that big reveal of these new look Daleks till part two. I think too, um, I, I know certainly on this show we were saying that, oh, this sounded like it was going to be a Power of the Daleks Mark II type of story. But um, when we watched it, it seemed a very poor cousin. I think even someone said that it was the it was the children's book version of Power of the Daleks. Um, I, I think it would have benefited by being as long as that second Doctor story, just to give more time for the Daleks to be scheming and duplicitous rather than being revealed, I think it was in the first, what, 10, 15 minutes that they turned on the humans. So um, I think it would have been more fun to spend more time watching these Daleks scheme, I think. Yeah, Dalek scheming is always good news. <laughs> I, I do, like, do like those moments. One thing that they were saying there was there was no Dalek heartbeats that um, seemed to be missing even from the uh, impure Daleks ship that had uh, travelled back in time. It seems to be a general consensus that this episode was all set up with no payoff, seeming to think that we are going to be getting the uh, Daleks back at the end of the year or at the end of the season anyway. Yeah, I think um, they're not going to spend good money on making brand new Daleks and then have them just appear briefly. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the season finale. Doctor Who podcast. It's Adam Pearson from Cows on the Isle of Wight uh, with my notes on Victory of the Daleks. Uh, that wasn't our ninth Doctor uh, actually in London during the Second World War with Rose uh, and Captain Jack. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe that's why the Daleks were there waiting for him. They're actually waiting for the ninth Doctor. Now, Matt Smith 
seems to portray elements of several Doctors, apparently, because I've seen him showing elements of the Tenth Doctor. Uh, I've heard on other podcasts people saying he's drawing from Troughton, Davison and McCoy. And uh, my wife thinks he's like Pertwee, but I think he's probably least like Pertwee myself, but that's her opinion. Some of the music, uh, when the Daleks were skulking around corridors, eavesdropping on conversations, was very 70s, a bit like the... Um, the Dalek story, Don Purchase's last Dalek, Dalek story, which uh, title of which uh, eludes me for the moment. And um, why can't Amy remember the Daleks? Um, is it because they changed history or because perhaps she wasn't there? And it was a great scene uh, when the Doctor attacks the Dalek with a massive, massive uh, spanner. I really enjoyed, enjoyed that. Uh, the, the set, for, by the way, for the Dalek ship was absolutely superb. It was very retro, and um, I thought it was one of the best Dalek sets I've ever seen. And uh, why do the Daleks only shoot off uh, uh, Professor Bracewell's hand and not just destroy him completely? Is it because he might be Davros? That's obviously Davros from the past, not from... Uh, the one we, we recognise them from. Just a theory. Uh, the new Daleks, unnecessary but acceptable, and they're very colourful, and uh, my youngest daughter, who's three, loves it, loves the colours, especially the yellow one. Uh, but uh, they look like a design originally rejected by Terry Nation in the 60s. But um, has Moffat gone too far changing this iconic design? Well, that will remain to be seen. Uh, the Spitfires in space were great fun. And... Uh, the Doctor uh, saved Earth, but lost to the Daleks. A great twist. Um, but has he lost in the long run? That remains to be seen, because they are obviously coming back during this series. Um, I have to say, on a negative note, I am completely bored to tears about this uh, crack that keeps appearing at the end of every single episode. But other than that, I have to give this story five out of five. Thank you very much. Some people commenting about this ambiguity about just where does Amy come from? What year does she come from? When was she born? Um, some people expressed surprise that the doctor just didn't flat out ask her, what year are you from? Um, because that seems to be one of the uh, things that's happening this year, the whole confusion about what year Amy is actually from. Well, a, a theory that was doing the rounds on Sunday was that um, she may be from the present, but from a sort of... Um, parallel timeline or parallel universe sort of an earth where the daleks didn't invade i'm kind of thinking that too i'm kind of thinking that the crack in time has somehow affected the earth's timeline and we're now seeing an earth which still has all the modern you know iphone type of things and all that sort of stuff but something's changed with the timeline that it hasn't been invaded by the daleks so yeah just wondering how they're going to pan that out this season but at the back of my mind, I'm thinking of Amy's boyfriend, fiancé, and the date that's on his hospital name tag, 1990. That keeps sitting at the back of my head and going, well, maybe it isn't modern day. Maybe we are back 10 or 15 years. Mm, then you get all the problems with uh, how can someone have a Blackberry storm then? Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was kind of saying, that it, it could be in the past, but something's happened to the timelines to cause technology to be sufficiently advanced by that point a lot of comments about these spitfires in space probably not to do with the actual concept or, or or the actual sequences but how did they get produced so quickly a lot of people were saying um well 
Bracewell showed it to be a theory. He was waving his bits of paper around saying, well, in theory it could be done. And then within a couple of minutes of screen time, they're up there flying in space shooting at the Dalek ship. Perhaps another reason it could have been a two-parter. Then in part one they could have said, we'll start manufacturing them and then they might not have appeared until the end of part two. So at least days or weeks could have gone by. But um, it does seem very quick. Yes. That's, a, that's a very good point, actually. It, it would have been interesting because then I think the Doctor would have spent relatively less time up on the Dalek ship doing next to nothing. And he could have spent time on Earth with Bracewell constructing these uh, space spitfires. Well, the other way to look at it is it's one of those science fantasy moments rather than science fiction moments. Even if it's fantasy, fantasy has its own internal logic. It has to be mm. able to stand up to a reasonable amount of scrutiny. So it, it's like Tom was saying last week, oh, it's only a science fiction show. It's, it's only make-believe. Don't worry about it. I, I don't really subscribe to that view. Even if it's make-up, even if it's make-believe, it still has to make sense. Otherwise, you just don't believe in what you're watching. Well, it certainly didn't throw me out of the story anyway. But what about the uh, new Daleks themselves, the uh, V-dubs, the Mini Coopers, the, the iPod generation Daleks? What, what did you think of them, Tim? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many gripes with them. Uh, when I first saw them, I, I, I feel the, the people outside the UK are lucky sometimes because they can see a tweet saying... Radio Times cover, and they can choose not to click on the link, and they don't have to avoid the newsstands. Whereas if you're like me, and you're in the UK, and you like collecting the Radio Times when Doctor Who's on the front cover, you're kind of, okay, I've got to buy it. <laughs> and, well, it must be said, when I saw those front covers, and there's three of them, there's a red, um, orange, and a blue Dalek, and vote Dalek on the front cover. I thought, oh, well, they've obviously just done this to tie in with the general election. I didn't think that we'd remotely see this particular design of Dalek in the story. I didn't think it was a spoiler. Mm. Mm. And then they show up, and I'm... Well, apart from giving them a Dalek movie-style base, there's not a great deal I like about them. The, the colours just don't work for me at all. I mean, in the 60s Dalek movies, sure, we had coloured Daleks, but it was done sensibly. This just looks like a giant toy. They're just over-designed, I think was the term I came up with this evening when I rewatched the episode. I think, too, that they're in, in very stark contrast to, to the fantastic camouflage Daleks we had in that episode, too, that um, you see them and you... And I think they're even saying in The Confidential just how well those Daleks fit in war-torn London. They're, they're just such a perfect fit to be seen trundling around the bunker. And then they get destroyed, and then these big walking cake stands turn up, these these big lollipops turn up, and you go, well, can't we have the green ones back, please? Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, Daleks just do look better in darker colour schemes. I've got a few of the little ones myself. I have to admit, my favourite colour scheme is the, the Genesis gunmetal grey one because mm, mm. it just it's just proper military colors it's it's a it camouflages it hides which is what a dalek would do they don't always come out all guns blazing and to have these bright white and red and <laughs> just oh just i'm oh <laughs> just i'm speechless <laughs> i could tell <laughs> Well, it's, it's certainly an episode that seems to have divided the fan community from, from what I can read. Um, there's a lot less of the overall 
yes, this was fantastic, 10 out of 10 type of thing. And there's more of the slightly reserved, well, okay, I'm going to accept this story was a bit of a setup. Hopefully they'll come back at the end of the year and restore my faith in the Dalek race. Um, yeah, there, there seems to be people sort of holding back and sort of waiting to see and sort of going, well, okay, well, let's just enjoy the rest of the season and see what Moffat comes up with the Daleks um, towards the end of the year, hopefully. Hi, Doctor Who podcast chaps. Adam Pearson here from Cows on the Isle of Wight in his car. Um, I'd just like to say that my youngest daughter, who is three, used to be petrified of the RTD era Daleks, but as soon as the new multicoloured Daleks came on the screen, she fell in love with the yellow one, and that's the impact the new Daleks have on the younger generation. I'd also like to say that my theory is that Amy Pond is in fact an android that has been planted in the Doctor's life by the Daleks after they left the Second World War. And um, she may indeed be a bomb of some kind. Well, that remains to be seen. But uh, just note you heard it here first. Well, I think it's time for everyone's favourite part of the episode, the uh, kooky fan theory of the week. And actually, it's kooky fan theories this time. Um, Tom's been kind enough to have a look through the forums, dip his toe into the murky waters that is fan opinions on the uh, on the uh, Doctor Who online forums and Outpost Gallifrey and all those sort of things. First one he's come up with, the crack, is the David Tennant Doctor and Rose trying to get back to our universe so that the fake Doctor, i.e. Matt Smith, can degenerate back into David Tennant. The whole thing has been a setup for David Tennant's triumphant return at the end of this season. <laughs> oh, we'll put that one under wishful thinking, yeah, won't we? I think so. There's another one here. Uh, the new Daleks are so big because they have Cybermen inside them. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yes, a very, very interesting theories out there from you guys. Um, please, I hope anyone who wrote that, those theories isn't listening. No offence. No offence, please. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see what people will come up with. I mean, it, it's it's really good to read this stuff, actually, because we're at the stage of a season where, where we don't know what's going to be happening towards the end of the year. And it looks like we are going to be building up to all these questions going to be answered with the crack. Um, who is Amy Pond and, and all those sort of things. And it's nice that we're now layering on top of that questions about, oh, are there Cybermen inside the Daleks? And is David Tennant going to come back for Series 6? Um, <laughs> very, very interesting. Well, my, my own pet theory when I was watching the episode on Saturday was... Oh, they're, they're not the real Daleks. They just look way too silly. So obviously this is a, a parallel universe and it'll all get sorted and we'll have proper Daleks again by the end of the season. I just got the feeling that, that they're just not on. And if they are, someone needs their head examining. <laughs> well, that's probably a good note to leave this uh, fan reaction look at Victory of the Daleks while we all go have our heads examined. Um, we'll be back after this little jingle to have a talk about the uh, well, semi-recent release of the uh, Space Museum Chase on DVD. You know, I think the TARDIS jumped a time track and ended up here in this fourth dimension. You see where we've landed? On a museum. A museum? A space museum, yes. Welcome to Zelos. What is your name? Why do you come here? Where have you come from? Where are your companions? They've got the TARDIS! 
You are of no further use to me. You would make a perfect specimen for our museums. Take him to the preparation room. Doctor, he is beyond your help. Soldier! What have you done to him? He has completed preparation. He's as good as dead. I suppose by now everyone's had a chance to go out and purchase, review, devour and enjoy the fantastic release um, from To Entertain and the BBC of uh, The Space Museum and The Chase, two uh, fantastic stories from the, I suppose, early years of the William Hartnell era. What are your initial impressions of these releases, Tim? It's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag, The Space Museum, isn't it? It's got a great opening episode and there's lots of mystery set up in it and well i mean it's got some great fun moments too you can't beat william hartnell popping his head out of a dalek <laughs> but um i th- i think it, it it's it's one of those uh that um shows how incredibly cheaply made the show was sometimes and it it does rather show sometimes in this story but um i mean it's it's all right but it, it, it's just not necessarily a classic that you'll come back to time and time again. No, I suppose, I suppose. It's it's interesting with The Chase and The Space Museum. Um, the Space Museum was always a story that I never really watched, even back years and years ago when, when I had access to it on, you know, old dusty VHS. Because it was one of those stories that I thought would be quite boring. And The Chase was one that I always enjoyed when I was younger. But I re-watched them again recently and my opinion totally flipped. Um, I really enjoyed the Space Museum. I, I loved the whole concept that the story was trying to get across about the implications of uh, time travel in its own in- interesting 1960s way. You know, them, them crossing their own time stream or, or, or time track, as they call it, in that episode, and just what would happen. And them spending four episodes trying to avert the fate that they saw um, they were in at the beginning of the first episode. Um, I, I found it really, really interesting. But then I went and watched The Chase again, and, oh, my goodness, my, my opinion totally changed. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very long story for a start. The first two episodes I, I was quite bored with because it's all set on the planet of Iridius where the uh, Daleks are uh, menacing the local inhabitants and the uh, Doctor and crew turn up. And then for, the I think, the four episodes after that, it has the... Uh, Doctor and the Companions being chased by the Daleks through space and time. And just from one ludicrous setup to another, you know, on, onto the deck of the Mary Celeste and in a haunted house and on top of the Empire State Building, talking to a really brash American. Um, 
I, I was quite surprised just how differently I felt about this story. I mean, I, I quite enjoyed it myself, although it is very silly. And it, it's, it's best watched and not taken too seriously. But um, it does suffer from being six episodes. It could have been a fun, fast-moving four-parter rather than this rather stretched-out six parts. It, it's a fascinating pairing of stories, too, I think, because the, the end of the Space Museum leads directly on into the chase. And in one way, it's an obvious pairing of stories to put together on DVD. As I think from memory, when the Space Museum was released originally on VHS, it, it wasn't paired with the chase. Um, it was paired with something like the Ark from memory. I can't remember which, which story it was, but it certainly wasn't with the chase. Um, because at the end of the Space Museum, the uh, doctor appropriates this thing called the, the time-space visualizer from the museum, and he tries to get it working. At the end of that, he sees in the time-space visualizer that the Daleks are invading, and that leads directly on into the chase. Um, so, yeah, it, it comes from an era of the show, I think, where a lot of the stories were more closely linked that really one episode led on to another episode and what we deem of as separate stories really flowed into each other a lot more easily. As I, as, as, as I say, some great fun moments. The, the, the TARDIS landing on the Marie Celeste and uh, the Daleks getting there first and everybody diving off. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a nice... I like it. Every, every few years, Doctor Who does this. They'll find a good, uh, well-known famous event in history and come up with a Doctor Who take on it, uh, whether it's um, at the end of the visitation where uh, the TARDIS disappears and you find out they've just started a fire in Pudding Lane. Mm. And, yeah, there's, there's probably a few other examples over the years, but I think it's a, great, it's a great asset to the show that they can do this now and again. Especially fun when Dracula and Frankenstein start attacking the Daleks and throwing them around. <laughs> Certainly tongue very uh, firmly planted in one's cheek when you watch this story, I think. The two releases have some really interesting extras. Um, it was interesting to um, see the very brief making of on the Space Museum release. And I, I suppose, again, it ties in with my lack of knowledge about this entire story. It, it was just a joy to watch from beginning to end. Um, it's the two-disc release of The Chase that's really interesting. Of particular note was the incredibly interesting visit by uh, Raymond Cusack, who was the uh, BBC employee who basically designed the Daleks back in the 60s. Um, he, he was invited along to the BBC sets for Doctor Who, I think probably around 2005, I think, because it was when... They were creating the Daleks um, for, for that first story and they were talking about how they made the Daleks the same height as Rose so she could look straight down the eye stalk. Um, so it must have been four, four years ago, I suppose. Um, Raymond was shown around the set and shown what they're doing with the Daleks these days. particular note for me was right at the end, after they'd taken this poor guy around, um, he was presented with this uh, drawing sort of nicely presented in this folder of what was called Dalek DNA. If you're familiar with Raymond Cusett's contribution to uh, Doctor Who, and I suppose more specifically the way Terry Nation, who wrote the stories, basically took the copyright over the Daleks for himself, and he was the one that made the lion's share of all the money, whereas poor Raymond was just a normal uh, BBC employee who really didn't see a cent of any of those gazillions of dollars that the uh, nation estate was earning. 
possibly Raven might be a little bit bitter about the whole thing. And he gets presented with this picture of Dalek DNA. And he just looks at it and goes, oh, that's <laughs> very nice. Thanks very much. And uh, let's just move on now. <laughs> he just seems totally nonplussed by the whole experience. And uh, I suppose it's a bit of a shame because when you think of the Daleks, you don't think of the writing. You think of the design and just the incredibly unique look they had. And that's down to Raymond Cusack when he was working at the BBC. So, yeah, big, big shame there. I was lucky enough to meet um, Ray at a signing a couple of years back. And uh, while I was queuing up, while I was getting near the front, uh, he was having a conversation with the person sat next to him, uh, saying how much he was not much of a fan of this new look Dalek at that time, the 2005 model, and saying how... He, it, it, all the rivets and things like that were really annoying him because it didn't look like something that had been built the way his yeah. his back in the sixties he'd thought about how they were built whether they were built with machines or whether they were built by people or whatever but he didn't like a lot of the things they'd put into this new design and um, they were selling photos to be signed at this signing I seem to remember Nick Briggs was another people signing that day and I'd got this photo and it was of one of the new look Daleks <laughs> <laughs> I handed it to Raymond Ray and I said I feel, feel a bit a bit strange handing this to you and he signed it anyway but um, no he, he's, he's clearly got a lot of gripes about what they've done to his beloved design mm-hmm. oh I suppose it's many many years since he's worked on the show and you know a lot of things have changed but I, I think even during the original run of the series you know you know the Daleks changed but they never really changed that much they, they were still incredibly faithful even in the late 80s to Raymond's design well and if it ain't broke don't try to fix it. Well, that's, that's exactly right. But, uh, I mean, I can understand why the new production crew decided that, uh, you know, they should change it. But, yeah, like I said, if they work well in the classic, why not keep them going? But we're getting off the point here, I think, a little bit with Paul Raymond. Um, the Chase DVD is interesting, too, because it's the last story for two of the original companions from the Hartnell era, um, Ian and Barbara. We'd already seen Susan Foreman, the uh, Doctor's granddaughter, leave the previous season um, in Dalek Invasion of Earth. What is it about companions leaving during Dalek stories? I don't know. Mm. Um, But I think what we see here with Ian and Barbara leaving, we're seeing one of the first real major shifts in the whole feel of Doctor Who in this story. And and certainly beyond the chase, uh, Doctor Who is never the same again. I mean, we certainly lost our strong male lead role in the form of Ian Chesterton. And I know a lot of people today are used to the Doctor being the, the, the strong lead. But back in the 60s, Doctor Who was a frail old man who relied on his wits, not, not his strength. So he, in the early days, he was often um, companioned with strong male leads such as Ian and then later Ben Jackson, for example. Um, so it's just interesting to see the way the whole show changes once the chase finishes, because, uh, yeah, that dynamic will never be there again. That strong maternal character in the form of Barbara and the male lead with Ian. Well, they, they certainly um, have an interview with William Russell in one of the extras, and uh, he said how at the time they, uh, him and uh, 
the actress that played Barbara, they went to Bill and told him of their decision to leave at the same time. And uh, he was rather angry because mm. <laughs> he, he was quite comfortable. He'd got his little team around him. He knew where he was with the, the, the three or four main leads and uh, Caroline Ford having already left. He thought, oh, well, look, these other two, they'll hang around for a bit. But no, nope, mm. they were off. No, I mean, it's, it's interesting that Doctor Who was originally only going to be running for, you know, six or 12 weeks. Um, and then it was going to be over, but it became this behemoth once the Daleks turned up. See, there are the Daleks again. My goodness. Um, and, of course, um, you know, we now have the 26-year-old uh, series that we ended up with, with the, uh, with the classic series. So we, we had people like Russell Enoch and uh, Jacqueline Hill who probably only thought it was going to be a very short gig, but ended up staying for two years. So I suppose it's understandable at one point they go, well, it's time for us to move on, guys. They may have had offers from other shows and uh, other work and things they've ha they'd had to turn down. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, uh, uh, Russell Enoch, for example, was already an established film actor. Um, you know, probably his most famous role is uh, is appearing as one of the escapees in The Great Escape, for example. So um, he he could certainly return to doing films or more TV if he wanted to. Not sure about Jacqueline Hill whether she had much of a career before or after Doctor Who, but. Um, I think it's understandable that she'd want to leave if, um, you know, the guy she'd acted next to for the past two years um, was going to leave as well. The the commentaries on both of these stories are quite interesting, although you may be thrown as I was initially because um, Peter Purvis, being a TV presenter, seems to take the lead in these commentaries and um, he's quite good at it and he's very good at it, but... Um, He's definitely chairing them, I think, would be the, the way to describe it. But um, mm. all credit to them, though. He does do a good job. So, yeah, so the, the Chase and the Space Museum, certainly a worthy DVD box set to add to your collection. I won't say what Tom usually says, go out and rent it before you buy it if you're not sure. I can guarantee you right here, right now, if you go out and buy it now, you will not be disappointed. It's, it's a fantastic slice of classic who. It's a fantastic slice of black and white who. And it's a fantastic slice of William Hartnell Doctor Who. And certainly a worthy addition to anyone's burgeoning Doctor Who collection. All right, well, before we go, we'll just go through a little bit more feedback from you, our wonderful listeners, on uh, Victory of the Daleks. It's been fantastic. You've been sending those MP3s in. Keep them coming, and uh, we'll be back after that. Hey there, fellas. My name is Justin, and I just wanted to give you my viewpoint on the first three episodes of the 31st season of Doctor Who with the 11th Doctor. Now, I am from the States, and while Doctor Who is not as popular over here as it is in the UK and in Europe, what fans you do have are very, very loyal. We love the Doctor over here. My first Doctor was David Tennant. The first episode that I saw of him was New Earth. And I loved David Tennant's performance. I really did. But I got to tell you, the 11th Doctor, he had me at Apples. Matt Smith is absolutely amazing in the role. And I love that he's the wise old professor of the universe now. One of my favorite qualities of his, one of my favorite little moments was in The Beast Below when Amy was talking to him, 
who is also brilliant, by the way, and absolutely stunning, and asked him what happened to his race. Now, if she had asked that of the 10th Doctor, the 10th Doctor would have gone on waxing poetically about the fields of grass and the mountains that sang whenever the sun touched them. This doctor said, you know what? It was just a bad day. And if I could forget all about it, I would. It's a massive personality difference, and I loved it. Absolutely brilliant. This doctor is going to have a little bit of darkness to him, a little bit of mystery, and I love that. Another one of my things that I love is the new intro and the new music, even though that is a point of hotly contested debate. I still love it. One of my things that I used to love about the 10th Doctor was the 10th Doctor's theme. I think it was called All the Strange, Strange Creatures. That was my favorite bit of music until the 11th Doctor's theme. I don't know what this new one is called, but it's the theme that was in the trailers. It's the theme that was in um, the 11th Hour when he's confronting the Atraxi. It's absolutely brilliant. And I've been playing that in my car, driving on the freeway. And I've noticed myself speeding while listening to that. The first three episodes have been brilliant. I loved every episode. Victory of the Daleks, in my opinion, was brilliant. I've never seen any of the classic series, but if I could picture what the classic series would be like, this is what I would picture it as. My one complaint... And this is a small little niggle. Niggle. Is nobody dies. And I hate to say that, but nobody dies, really, in these episodes. It's almost like they're too scared to kill anybody off. Now, with Victory of the Daleks, yes, it did kill, you know, two people off. but, But there's never really any sense of danger with that. But I understand this is a kid's show which is something we really don't have in the States, and that's a shame. But I love that this is family television. I love that it's a kid's show, and I love that it is so ingrained in the culture over there. My only wish is that I could take a trip to London, see the TARDIS for myself, take pictures with it, and perhaps, maybe, just maybe, hold the 11th Doctor's sonic screwdriver in my hand. Now, over here in the States, if there was an American version of Doctor Who, I feel that the Doctor would be, you know, a very violent person. The the writers over here would make him a very violent person. But the fact is that over there, he fights with nothing more than pretty much a penknife. I love that. One of the scariest episodes was Blink. I love the fact that the angels are going to be back. Pretty much this memo is just to say that I love this show. I really do. And I'm so glad I discovered it. And I'm so glad that I discovered your all's podcast. Thank you for all you do. Take care. G'day, Trevor, Tom, and Thingy Jig. Um, this is Rollo from Newcastle, Australia. I um, stumbled across your podcast quite by accident, actually, from uh, Tom Baker's side of all places. Um, you wanted some feedback on uh, Victory of the Daleks. Now, the thing about this episode, it was terrible. Um, I found I enjoyed the analysis and deconstruction that you did of the episode, far more exhilarating than the show itself. And that's not right, is it?
Uh, my thoughts <laughs> on the Star Wars analogy, you know, the Spitfires in space, oh my god! Um, start the Star Wars thing that George Lucas, you know, created back in the 70s. It was wonderful, you know. But the new one that he's made now is childish. Now, I get the same feeling from Doctor Who. Back then, Genesis was made for adults, and that still applies today. It's still as terrifying and chilling today. But the new episode, it seems like it's made for kids, colourful Daleks, Doctor with a Biscuit. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there are so many things wrong with this. I find it hard to see an old man in a young body with the doctor's being a Dalek over the head with a monkey wrench. You know, Tom Baker or any of the other doctors wouldn't have done that. They something much more clever. Um, and Daleks, when they shot people, they used to scream. You know, they use the ray and people would go, ah! I mean, surely kids can handle that today. Uh, on a positive note, as you said, um, the links to Dad's Army were great. I'm a huge fan. Um, put that light out in Bracewell. I actually missed that one. Um, it was the one with the golf club in that first episode. I can't believe I missed that. Anyway, your positive attitudes in reviewing that turkey of a, an episode are awesome. It's easy to be negative about that episode because Moffat has done the greatest new episode, in my opinion. That girl in the fireplace is so good. You know, I have a lot of time for him. He's going to do something really special with this new series. And I think he's just got off to a bit of a dicky start. Anyway guys uh, look i hope this feedback is useful and and keep up the great work all right well th thank you again tim for joining us um we might call it a day here at the uh, dwp um thanks for joining us and we'll be back in a very few short days with an exciting interview with some of the key creatives and contributors to a fantastic book from mad norwegian press chicks dig time lords so please keep your eyes out for that very very soon all right i will see you later tim see you true see you everyone bye-bye that was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.